0: That's in the air, this took be me... out, oh, David's underneath it, will he catch it, he's got good hands, he's got him, yes he has, Jarvis got him in the
1: deep, having fumbled all night, he's taking the big one, and we're in the air, he's
0: got a that was a good catch. Couch Talk Hello and welcome to Couch Talk. The guest today is former international umpire John Holder. He talks about player descent, DRS, whether we need neutral umpires and the time he was approached by a bookie in Sharjah, as well as the controversial circumstances that led to him not standing in a test match for 10 years after he reported England players for ball tampering, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Subhash.
0: It's uh, absolutely my pleasure. Writing in The Guardian, in the aftermath of the big brouhaha over uh, Stuart Broad not walking during the Ashes Test in Friendbridge, you had written that uh, you did the job for 27 years and you were pretty philosophical about it. In the end, you had become quite cynical. Can you expand on that? What made you turn cynical towards the game, towards well, the, the job the, of batting? The, the,
2: the reality is that um, there has for a long time been a perception that cricket is a gentleman's game, that when that batsmen walk, when they nick the ball and are caught, and that um, bowlers or fielders, members of the field inside only appeal when they, when they fail or they are pretty certain that the batsman is out. Those days have long since gone in fact that that's that that has gone before it's uh, when I started umpiring back in eighty three that had gone
1: mm-hmm. the
2: re- The reality is that um and especially when there's big money players will pl- the the pressure to win is greater than ever and and player players some players will some players will cheat um some players will claim catches which they know are not catches players will appeal because fielders will appeal because they want a wicket. And as far as the days of batsmen walking are concerned, they, most players, even at club level, where have umpired for the last three years since retirement. Um, players don't walk. A lot of players don't walk. The, they, the, the, whole, the, the attitude of, lots of, of most players, or a lot of players, is the umpire is paid to do a job and let him do the job. Because under the laws of cricket, a batsman is only out on appeal. Mm-hmm. And pl- lots, lots of players now, well, certainly lots of batsmen, um, play it that way. Um, what I what I what I find um, distasteful is a batsman who an umpire has made a decision may have got it wrong is given the batsman not out,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the batsman has been quite happy to accept that and carry on batting, but if he subsequently gets what he sees as a bad decision, um, he he's not he's unhappy. Mm-hmm. Well. One, one of my former um, umpire um, umpire mates, John Hampshire, who who umpired the first we were the first neutral umpires. He told me a story that um, after he left after he left Yorkshire, left playing for Yorkshire, he went and played for Derbyshire for a few seasons before retirement. And Eddie Barrow, the former great South African all-rounder, came over as der- as captain of Derbyshire, and he told he told the dressing room he told his players that he never walked. But if the fella in the white coat put his finger up, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, he he left the field. He didn't complain. You mm. see, in in life, you can't eat your cake and have it. You can't you can't say that the umpire should do a job, so you leave it for him to do it. Mm-hmm. And and he makes a mistake in your in your favor, and you're happy to accept that. But if he makes a, then he may, if he makes a mistake or what you see is a mistake against you, you complain, you can't do that. You can't eat a cake and have it. Hmm. So there's there is there's at times a lack of honesty in the game. That's a, that's a double standard. So that's that's the underlying reason behind your
0: cynicism about how the game is played.
2: Absolutely. Okay. I can't do it. Look, I can't do anything about it. I can't change their, their mindset. In terms of player
0: dissent, you mentioned about how a player may have got what he thinks was a wrong decision, and he remonstrates to the umpire in certain ways, you know, looks back at the umpire, shakes his head. You have played and umpired over a long time. So from your playing time to when you started umpiring in 83 to now, has it gotten much worse? Yes. Yes, about...
2: Without a doubt, I mean, we 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 had, and I think a lot of a lot of the pressure comes from not only more money in the game, mm-hmm. but the coaches. The coaches, we I mean, we there was a there was a coach who had been a first class umpire, and he went and coached one of the one of the English counties,
1: mm-hmm. and he
2: actually told his players, "You must appeal, you must appeal." So he's pressurized. I mean, having umpire understood. And having understood and having experienced the pressures of umpiring,
1: mm-hmm.
2: because all of a sudden he he, he leaves umpiring and becomes a coach, and then he's trying to pressurize his players because he wants decisions to go his way. And the the, the reality is that coaches um, want if without success, you 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 you've got every ch- there's every chance you're going to lose your job.
1: Mm-hmm. So the right. co- the
2: coaches enc- I, in my opinion, the coaches encourage the players to, to appeal. Mm-hmm. because things were, whether because, because then hopefully decisions will go their way
0: hmm. in your umpiring uh, experience, you know we have had several cases of excessive appealing in in fact, there was this one instance where um, India were in South Africa, and my there was a charge la- laid against the Indian team for excessive appealing, and it became a major international incident in your case as an umpire. Does, you know, somebody making a strong-throated appeal versus a polite inquiry to the umpire, does that sway the umpire's mind in terms of, you know, whether to give out or not out?
2: Well, it, well, it shouldn't. But, I mean, if you if you think about it, if, if there, there are times out there in the middle where you, you think a batsman is out um, or no one appeals or, or there's just like a faint plaintive appeal from a sort of half-hearted appeal. Mm-hmm. You would you would look like an absolute mug if suddenly you put your finger up, and um, because of this little uh, weak appeal, mm.
1: that,
2: that's that's being realistic. And um, so um, umpires will 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 make decisions when they are good strong strong appeals. You, as I said, you will look extremely stupid if, let us say that you if, what you thought was an LBW,
1: mm.
2: and um, and just a, a, a sort of half-hearted. Inquiry rather than a proper appeal. That, mm-hmm. That's that's human nature.
0: But then, isn't that what leads to excessive appealing? Then you know, trying to coax the umpire into making decisions that he wouldn't otherwise have made.
2: No, I think I think I think that you quite often the desperation of a situation will encourage encourage fielders fielders to appeal excessively. They, and it usually happens when they're 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 they're. they're they're desperate for a wicket because of the situation of the game, and they feel you know, then they feel that the best way to the best way to get a deci- the, and all they want is a decision to go their way, hmm. and they appeal and they appeal and appeal. Also, um, when I, I maintain that players watch umpires as much as umpires watch players, and and players can tell umpires who are weak or who are indecisive, hmm. who can be swayed by. By strong vociferous appeals, and they will, they will, they will appeal accordingly. But if you, if as an umpire you feel that that the appealing is 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 excessive, it's potentially is designed to intim- intimidate you into making a decision, mm-hmm. you speak to the captain. Um, in my last year, I did, a, I did a, I did a, a one-day game at um, at Hove between two counties, Surrey and Surrey, Sussex and Surrey. Mm-hmm. and um I was standing at square leg and the and the there was a wicket, the, the wicket keeper appealing kept on, ah, 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 and I said excuse me just say how's that and that's the end of it you don't have to keep on shouting how ah, how ah, ah. and mm. he just I think he was quite surprised at what I said <laughs> but for me that 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 was a blatant case of a of a the of league keeper desperate for decision to go in their favor mm-hmm. and kept on appealing and appealing and appealing. It is, it is against the spirit of the game as well.
0: Hmm. Uh, I want to talk about DRS. Uh, but before that, you know, you had made your opinions on it clear, saying that the players shouldn't be the one initiating the review or the challenge of the umpire. Instead, if the umpire was in any doubt, you should you
2: know you should ask the help of the third umpire well even i mean up to last summer here 2013 even brad hadn't said that because there was an awful lot of controversy surrounding the use of the drs last mm-hmm. year and even brad hadn't said that as far as he's concerned mm-hmm. um he would he he's quite happy to allow the umpires to use the use the technology to mm-hmm. to to, make the, to help them to make decisions but I I feel and and this and I feel this quite strongly that that the the whole idea of this of players challenges is just that I think it's the drama of television as well you know there's an appeal the umpire's made a decision and um, then you have gotta get a huddle between the fielders or the two batsmen for. Mm. there's a bit of drama in that and I think that television has come a little bit like that as well mm. uh, Whereas as if the umpire uncertain and and uh, of what had happened and if he was allowed to ask the third umpire, can you tell me what happened Mm -hmm. Uh, what I think that 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 is not as dramatic as 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 the the challenge of the field or the or the batsman at the wicket making the 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 signal challenging the decision
0: Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that you're not in favor of how the DRS is instituted right now and how it's carried out am I correct assuming that yeah correct You had mentioned, you know, that there is no concern for the feelings of the umpire. You had mentioned this in an interview, that there is no concern for the feelings of the umpire who has made the decision in good faith. Yeah. And uh, umpire has to stand in the middle and live with his decision with uh, being shown on big screen in the television or in the stadium and on TV. Uh, They're analyzing all the 27 different cameras and the ex-players who are commentators now are basically ridiculing the job of the umpire. Yeah. Right? And you also mentioned that there was another reason reasons a former elite umpire quit the job. Uh, could mm-hmm. you eliminate further on that?
2: No, I, I am not prepared to, to make any further comment on the elite umpire who quit the job. Mm. But um, I, I, I am not at all in favor of, of the RS, and I, I fully support the Indians. Look, cricket is a game that's played by human beings, mm-hmm. and, and it's umpired, but it's officiated by human beings as well. And um and I, I am and I rest my case there.
0: You would rather have a situation where we go back to a time when there is actually no DRS, meaning you know, you have two umpires on the field and that's pretty much it. Whatever the decision they gave, you live with it.
2: Yes. Absolutely. You want to train your umpires to be as good as they can be.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: umpire, umpires have, have to have have, have have got to have that des- that um, that desire to be as good as not just to be earning, not just to be in a job earning big money. you are out there in the in the under, under the microscope, under the scrutiny of millions of people worldwide. And you've got to do everything you can to be as good as you can be in your physical fitness, your knowledge of the laws, your, your concentration, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Hmm. And I would be quite, and I would, I I would like to see the game go back to just people playing the game, umpires making decisions, and you get on with the game.
0: Uh, you know we talked earlier about player dissent uh, doesn 't d r s actually bring it down a little bit because players have a recourse if they felt that they have given they have been given out wrongly or not given correctly, whatever the case might be, perhaps a mistake can be fixed um, and then we can further move on, and there is no more. You know, raw feeling between the players and the umpire, so on and so forth. Don't you see it from that point of view, where DRS could be useful?
2: I, I, I mean, I, 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 I umpired eleven Test matches, in, and I don't remember there being any raw feelings about players being feeling hard done by. Hmm. Um, in, I mean, I, I'm sure I made mistakes as well, but even, and I don't remember any, any, any instances of of, of dissent. Or, I mean, I, I gave Graham Thorpe LBW. I did my last Test match at Lord's in 2001, and I made one mistake. I did an ashes Test there, and in England second is I got great. I gave Graham Thorpe with LBW the ball pitch outside the leg stump, mm-hmm. far marginally. I gave him LBW. I got it wrong. Thorpe, there was no dissent whatsoever. One of the one of one of the one of the things about umpiring is, is your man management and how you how you interact with players. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if you have a good relationship with the players and the players respect you as an umpire, mm-hmm. and you and you make a, 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 a and because it it wasn't as if it was a, a massive mistake, I just got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Players will accept it and get on with it. Mm-hmm. If you if as an umpire you got if you if you can get the respect of the players, mm-hmm. they will accept your decisions. But I think the press is, as as TV technology has improved and you get commentators who are. Who like to be controversial? You get someone, and one of the worst around the place is someone like um, Bob Willis, hmm. who, having an umpire has made a decision, there's an appeal, an umpire has made a decision, and then the expert commentator, after seeing three or four decisions, replays, re- 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 suddenly he says, "Well, that was a shocking decision," because hmm. this is a sort of this is a sort of language that Willis quite often uses. That was an awful decision. Hmm. That's that's controversial. Um, most, you know, the decent commentators don't talk like that, and he only he, the the commentators only know that and a mistake was made because of the of the TV TV ultra ultra motion replay. Mm-hmm. Correct. Some, but yet someone as professional as Richie Benno would never say that. hmm Richie Beno would never say that, and Richie Beno, I've I've heard Benno, I've actually been watching TV when there's been a replay, which has shown that the umpire has got it wrong, mm-hmm. and Beno will say, well, I'll play it at normal speed, and you make your judgment, mm. rather than a commentator going on and on and on, just berating the umpire's uh, bad decision.
0: Hmm. We talked about you know, going back to a time where you just have the umpires and uh, be done with it, um, which is where I want to ask you about the neutrality or the perception of neutrality. I had interviewed Simon Toffel uh, nearly two years ago, and he said the perception of neutrality is very important, that uh, the umpire that's carrying out the job uh, adjudication is unbiased as well. That perception is very important. What is your take on it?
2: Because- I, I, look, I, the, 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 the perception is only a perception. It's only because other sports have... So-called neutral officials. Mm. The reality is, especially now with the, with the TV technology being as 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 developed as it is, you if and you are you are you are being paid. Let us say you are earning two hundred thousand pounds a year mm-hmm. as an elite umpire, for just just for example.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You cannot afford to go out there on the field making decisions based on bias, on likes or dislikes. You can't. You've got to be as good as you can be because if you don't you're going to lose your job the mm-hmm. tv technology now will show you up as being an incompetent or being dishonest or mm-hmm. both you cannot as an umpire the most important thing to you is your reputation and you can't start you should not be making decisions based on likes or dislikes umpiring is about excellence it should be about excellence and i the 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 thing about about this this perception of, neut- of neutrality for me, it is just a perception, and really and truly, it doesn't hold the water. In, I mean, the final uh, analysis, in the final analysis, umpiring is about competence, not, not, not neutrality.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to quote you from uh, 2001 where you said, umpiring is about competence and not about nationality. But yet, yeah, sure. in a funny twist turn of events, you and John Hamshire were the first, I guess, among the first uh, neutral umpires to stand in a test match in uh, Pakistan, India versus Pakistan.
2: Yes, we, we were the actually first, first umpires. And, and Imran, I think that what had happened is that prior to us doing that series, um, test series between India and Pakistan, in whichever, in either country, used to be very incredibly acrimonious. Mm-hmm. And I think Imran and, and, and having talked with the, with the um, Indian, Indian opposite numbers, that they decided to have um, so-called neutral umpires. Um, but for me, it's, it's just a perception. Um, in the final analysis, the job is about competence and with the t v with the level of the quality of t v technology now, where every decision you make is replayed and replayed um it 's all about excellence not about not about neutrality
0: hmm. okay I want to ask you about uh, the situation of match fixing and spot fixing and stuff, which you know right now as one of the biggest scourges of international as well as domestic cricket. Last year with the, in the IPL, when the spot-fixing thing broke, there were allegations about uh, Pakistani umpire Assad Rauf, and the year mm-hmm. before that there were more umpires uh, caught in an Indian TV sting, and the umpires were from Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, so on and so forth. And you had mentioned last year during an interview with uh, Jonathan Agnew on BBC TESMA Special that you had approached in 1993 in Sharjah, yeah. am I correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh, what was the situation surrounding I mean, you mentioned that somebody approached you and offered uh, £10,000 for you to make sure there is a partnership of a certain number of runs, 85 runs, yeah. I suppose. Um, yes. Was that the only time you had uh, ever been approached by anybody yes. like that? Uh, okay. Yes,
2: absolutely. That was the one and only time.
0: Um, have you heard of um, other umpires being approached?
2: Yeah, um, the former South African umpire Cyril Mitchy said to me that he got approached once and was offered a hundred thousand pound, hundred thousand dollars, to um, to to make to make sure Pakistan won a test match against Australia.
0: Hmm. Oh, uh, when, when was
2: this? And, and he, no, it, it would have been I don't know Cyril. At, at that stage, there was the international panel, there wasn't the elite panel. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think it was a test match in Lahore, and. Um, he went out on the field on the morning before play was due to start and did his pre-match inspection like you do.
1: Mm. And
2: as he came off, the, as he walked off the field, someone approached him and um, and told him that there's a hundred thousand US dollars if, if <laughs> Pakistan wanted for Pakistan to win the Test match. And and knowing Sir Cyril, um, his response would have been pretty cryptic. It would have been it would have been very very short and and to the point and. You know, the second word would probably have been "off," hmm. <laughs> and and that and that was it. And I, I mean, I, I have absolutely no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt. Especially the way how things are, that other umpires have been approached. I mean, I can't see that. I can't see that. I, Cyril and I, are the only two umpires who have been approached because the umpires actually control the match and the um, by the umpires' decision making. Mm-hmm. You can you can you can influence the game massively one way or another. Correct. I'm sure other umpires have, have been approached, but haven't said anything. And in mm. fact, I didn't say I didn't say anything for quite a long time. That's
0: correct. Uh, but uh, you had mentioned that you had reported it to the ICC at the time. Wasn't no, like, not at the time. Not oh. at
2: the time because at the time there was no ICC as it is now. Mm. I report. I when I worked for the ICC briefly for about. Um, for about three years. And it was then that I mentioned it to one of their anti-corruption men. Mm. And I, I actually um, called, I told him the name of the chap who actually approached me. Mm. And I don't know if I don't, and I never, I've never heard anything about it since then.
0: Um, are you aware of any safeguards that are put in place uh, for the modern day empire to be protected from this?
2: Well, look, look. The, you, you can't protect anyone. You can't protect someone for for twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. The all you can all you can do, and whether it be umpires or players, a lot of it is about education. A lot of it is about 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 having pride in yourself, um, and not being because look the the reality the reality with this match fixing thing is that people think that there's easy money. There's no such thing as easy money. Mm-hmm. This money, it, once you once you get into it. You're into a spider's web, and there's every chance that you're going to get funded out. And it means that, and having been funded out, because there's every, you know, I think it's very, very likely because people like Cronian, Azrodin, and company, mm-hmm. they never thought they would get caught out. Um, salmon, salmon, but at at um, at Lords three, three, three and a half years back, they never thought they would get found out. They thought it was just easy money. There's no such thing. And all that, ha- and what happens to you is. That your reputation, all that you've worked hard to achieve in the game is forgotten Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and you're remembered as being a cheat. Now, if you can live with that, then you will get involved in match-fixing. If you can't live with that, if you can live with looking over your shoulder constantly, waiting for the phone to ring for someone to tell you to jump and you've got to ask them how high. If you can live with it like that, then you'll get involved in match-fixing. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't live like that. So I just told the fellow to get lost.
0: Fair enough. There was a 10-year gap in your international umpiring career. You know, you uh, umpired for a match between England and uh, West Indies in 1991 at the Oval. And then you, again, there was a 10-year gap. And then you umpired again in 2001. And from a recent interview that you did with uh, Roland Butcher of university of west indies the former player as well um you had uh, mentioned about in um, in a submitting a match report after that uh, england west indies test match that there was ball tampering going on and uh, so you think you not being international umpire or um, being an umpire in international test matches was a direct result of you alleging ball tampering
2: i did i didn't one? allege i didn't allege well, i stated i stated Plainly, it happened because mm-hmm. I saw it and I reported it, and I have no doubt whatsoever that my omission from the test panel after that test match in 1991, because I had a very good test match, mm. I have no doubt that it's because I reported the England players for having, and I actually I actually put it on my report. And what what was what was what was disappointing for me was that after it became public, and it became public because. Um, I had, having been to Pakistan in um, 1989 and having developed a sort of a good rapport with the Pakistanis, they were coming here in 1992 for that 1992 series,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I'd had a good test match at the Oval. The, the press was quite surprised when the test panel was announced for 1992 season that I wasn't on it, that I'd been dropped from it. And and so they started to do some digging. And the former Warwickshire um, fast-medium bowler Jack Bannister, who was actually a um, who was actually commentating on BBC when it happened, the incident happened on the Saturday morning. He did some digging, and he found out about the ball tampering that had reported and so on. And he wrote a book called Jack in the Box.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And in it, in it, he mentioned this incident where he got dropped from the test panel and the surprise that it caused among them in the media. And um, his book was previewed before the start of the 1992 series, Against Pakistan,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and a chap called uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the the, the, the uh, a sports writer from the from the Express, Colin Bateman, mm. did a preview of his book, which came out just before the, the the international season here started, and in it he made the reference to the ball tampering incident, mm-hmm. and um, and when it when it became public, the bosses at the bosses at lords were were livid and they, and and one of them actually came out on behalf of the board and made a statement to the effect that there was never any ball tampering and that and that it wasn't reported well that's a massive lie mm-hmm. the real what actually happened on the saturday morning west indies west indies batting this is about twenty minutes before lunch and struggling, they lost a couple of wickets in their first innings, facing a pretty big England total. And I was at the Vauxhall Land, and I saw a player walking, walking with his back to me, with his elbows working, sort of together. I can see both his elbows working. And I thought, that's a curious way in which to po- to polish the ball, because he had the ball and he was supposed to be shining it. Mm-hmm. So a couple of hours later, I got, and it, this thing persisted. And a couple of hours later, um, as... The last ball from my end, I had Sid Lawrence bowling from my end at the box. Hall, and as the ball went through to Alex Stewart, I said, Chewie, can, can I have the ball, please?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And one side of the ball had about a dozen big gouge marks. He'd been, the player had been using his thumbnails, and, and it wasn't just little nicks, it was just big gouge marks, about an inch, inch and a half long.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I sw- I, when I looked at the ball, I swore under my breath, because I knew that we had a problem. Mm-hmm. And I went over to my colleague, Merv Kitchen, at, who's walking in from Square Lake, and I sent over to him and I said, Merv, what do you think of this ball? And he said to me, straight away, it's been scratched. And I called England captain Gooch and I showed him the ball. I said, captain, I showed him the ball. I said, captain, one of your players is tampering with this ball. I said, this is illegal
1: mm-hmm. and it
2: must and it must stop right now. And I, I regret now, since then, not change not changing the ball at the time, and the, the the law i mean i didn't want to cause too much embarrassment, so I just thought I would say something and and, and it stopped it stopped because for the rest of the game i would in, I would inspect the ball and and, and it stopped the tampering it stopped
1: mm-hmm. and I
2: regret now um not changing the ball once my colleague had confirmed the ball was tampered with i should have, we should have applied the law. And we should change the ball, but the the law was a bit wishy washy because it said you change it for one of similar condition, <laughs> and all that all that would happen is that you'll 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 they'll scratch that and and then you change it, and so there was no penalty at the time. Mm. The laws the law is different now. The, there's a penalty now, so at, and so at the time it was a combination of that. Plus, I don't you don't want to cause too much embarrassment. So I thought that by just saying to the captain, this has got to stop. It's illegal. It's got to stop, and that and that. And I regret doing that. I I, 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 we should, having agreed that the ball was tampered with, we should have changed it for an old ball. Then the whole world would have seen what had happened. Correct. So it meant that the board wouldn't have been able to deny that there was ball tampering because there was my report as well, mm-hmm. which I submitted on the incident and on the match report. The top column at the time mm-hmm. ref- related to the ball to the um to the. To breaches of the of the laws regulations, and on that column I wrote that on the Saturday morning of the test match the England players had tampered with the ball.
0: Now you have that report that you had submitted, and when the board official came out and basically said, uh, responding to the uh, mm. you know Colin Bateman's book review, saying that nothing, nothing of that sort happened, and on top of it you were dropped from the test panel. What did you for not? Pursue this further because they were well, messing with your
2: livelihood. I, I had, I had no, I, I had, I hadn't signed a contract just to umpire Test cricket, so I had no, I had no right to umpire Test cricket. The, it was up to every year, it was up to the authorities, at Lords to decide from the um, from the first-class umpires here on the panel
1: mm-hmm.
2: to make a decision on who they were going to pick for to umpire Test cricket. So no one had a right to umpire Test cricket.
0: That's fair enough, but. But still, it is basically him, the board official, saying that nothing of that sort happened goes completely counter to the actual version of the events. So why
2: did you not but try but to set it straight? But, it, but it's, it, it's my word against theirs. But you have a match report too, right? Well, but... but the, and the match you had, uh, had discussed with uh, England
0: captain on, Graham Gooch as well on the field. It,
2: the, the, the match report is confidential, and it went into the board, and... I have no idea what, where the report went, but I, I have no doubt that it was a report, possibly from the England captain, um, on on my on, on that Test match, and that's what got me dropped from the Test panel.
1: Hmm.
2: I got I got just as Darrell here got penalised for doing his job properly at the Oval a few years back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That is exactly that's just a repeat of what happened to me hmm. because I think that I think the ICC um, and the and the media. Um, they, they, they hung. Daryl Daryl here did his job properly, and 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 what was wrong about what? Happened? I mean, on that day at the Oval, two umpires made a decision, Daryl here and Billy Dobchov. But but right from the outset, yeah, it was as if Billy Dobchov didn't exist, and it was all Daryl here. It was all Daryl here, and he's the one who ultimately got the sack. Well, that is exactly what happened to me a few years back. Hmm. That
0: is extremely unfortunate. i had you here for quite a bit now? I should let you go. But one thing I want to ask you is your relationship with Sachin Tendulkar. You you were the umpire, standing umpire, when he made his debut against Pakistan in Karachi, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you were the umpire by whom he hit a straight drive to get to his hundred, his first <laughs> Test hundred in Old Trafford in nineteen ninety. That's right. So your Experience of dealing with him, and and also read that you had given him some uh, cricketing advice when he made his debut.
2: Well, that 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 debut test match at at at, um, at Karachi, the pitch would the is probably one of the greenest pitches I have ever come across. So that was seriously bowler friendly pitch. That was that was designed. For Wakar, who was a youngster making his debut as well, mm. who bowled with the speed of light. He bowled quicker than Wazim or, or um, Imran. And it was it was tailor-made for the Pakistan Seamers. And 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 um Sachin making his debut had I mean, he'd he'd scored loads and loads of runs in a Ranji trophy. And all of a sudden he came up against three world class bowlers on pitch, on a pitch which was tailor-made for for, for seeing what bowlers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he was like a fish out of water. He really was. I mean, this ball was was whizzing past the nostrils, awful length, and climbing. And he thrashed the run. I think he got about 14 first innings, clearly out of his depth. This is something completely new to him. And when India, I was at the far end at Karachi, up, up the hill, and when India came to field, he, I was at square length. He was standing next to me, and I just said to him, Realizing he was, he's a youngster making, I said, I said to him, "You're playing against the best, the best bowlers in the world at, at Test match level now, and if you want to, if you want to score runs, you've got to be a little bit more circumspect. Just take your time." Mm. But I think it was, it was the sense of the, it was the occasion, it was the conditions. He was, he, he was just out of his depth.
0: So now that's 1989, and then you see him again at Old Trafford where he scores the hundred against England. What are your memories from that test match of his batting um, and the difference from the kid that you saw in Karachi versus the kid that you saw at Manchester?
2: Well it was it, it was I mean it was like a year later, but he was he'd gone from being a kid to an adult. I mean he had a he had a maturity in that short space of time he'd had a maturity um, and he looked he looked completely at ease um, on, on the on the international scene. And he and he batted superb. I think I think the run that got him to his hundred was a, was an off drive for four. Mm. I, I was a bowler's then. On what was Well, at the time at Old Trafford before they turned the square around? It was the Brian Statham end, and he off drove somebody for four and massive celebrations. And and Sachin during during the time that I've umpired him in India and Old Trafford and since I've seen him has just been a very lovely young man. I. I hadn't seen him for, for a few years, and then there was a tsunami game at Lords in 2005, mm-hmm. um, a game to raise funds for um, sun- with the tsunami victims, and Daryl here, and I actually umpired it, and um, I hadn't seen him for a number of years, and I went in the, I went, he capt he was supposed to captain one side and warn captain the other, and I had to go into his, the dressing room of his team, and he greeted me so warmly. Um you know so oh John it's nice to see you, and i hadn 't seen him for a number of years he's just a he 's just a very lovely young man hmm.
0: all right on that wonderful note, John, you are a great person as well, and thank you for uh, taking the, taking this time
2: talking to you Subhash, it's been my pleasure all the very best
0: thank you so much
1: <laughs> Couch dog.